0: Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here once again with you. This week has flown by. Seems like it's gone real quickly to me. And uh, I've enjoyed the week here with you very much. I always love to come to Amarillo. You guys are, you hold a special place in my heart. And uh, very thankful for the opportunity to come be with you this week. What I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning is what I titled, You Just Ain't Feeling It. And uh, my wife normally corrects my titles, especially when I have a grammar problem. But after hearing it, she said, no, this is the right title for this lesson, so just leave it that way. What I want you to do is I want you to go back with me in your mind to a time many years ago. It's 536 B.C. You live in Jerusalem. You live in a nation that is built on... Confidence and trust in an almighty God that lives in that temple. He lives right there in the center of that temple, and that temple dominates the city. Everywhere you go, every day, you see the temple or the shadow of the temple because it's the center of everything you know, it's the presence of God on earth. You know, the benefit to this as you live here in this land is that you have a constant, visible, physical reminder that the Almighty God is your God and He is with you. As you walk in the evening, you walk by the cool of those walls. As you get up in the morning and you pull back the drapes, you look out and there it is... And it doesn't matter what kind of day you've had. It doesn't matter what kind of night you had. When you pull back those curtains in the morning and you look out and you see that temple, it says to you, hey, you're still one of God's people. He still loves you. God is your God. The only real, true, living God is your God. Can you imagine the comfort that that was? I know people who do things like that just in their own lives. I knew a guy that wore a a particular ring on his little finger that was his reminder of God. And every time he noticed that ring, he was reminded, you know, I belong to God. That's why we wear a wedding ring to remind us of that covenant, right? So this physical presence of God that was shown and encouraged them through these things, through this big temple here in the middle of Jerusalem that encourages you, is quite a dominant thing in your life. But times have changed. Because you see, there's a pagan nation all the way across the Arabian desert, a nation called Babylon. And this pagan nation has begun to spread its influence They've begun to capture other nations. In fact, they have come all the way across the Arabian desert to Jerusalem. And they have conquered your city. They laid siege to Jerusalem. They tore down the walls. And unfathomable to you, they destroyed the temple. They tore it completely down. It's gone. They went in and they got all the gold and the silver and all the holy items out of the temple and they threw them in their wagon to take them back to Babylon. And when they go back to Babylon with this wagon full of all the gold and silver and jewels and, and valuables in your land, after having destroyed your city and after having destroyed this temple, they take you as a slave with them back to Back to Babylon. No longer can you open your eyes and see the temple. No longer can you walk by the cool of those big stone walls. It's gone. And now you sit across the Arabian Sea at this place called Babylon. Now, you've come from Jerusalem. Do you know what the word Jerusalem means? The word Jerusalem means peace. That's what the word Jerusalem means. So when the Bible talks about Jesus as being the king of peace, the king of Jerusalem, that's Jesus. Do you know what the word Babylon means? Well, it means confusion. It comes from the Tower of Babel where God confused their language. So you've gone from peace yesterday to now being in confusion. And it's this time that the psalmist is writing about in Psalm 137 when he writes these words. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How were they going to do that? You know, literally, they sit here by the rivers of confusion. You look at, this is Babylon, this is the river that they were sitting by. And this is a river of confusion. It's not the peace and safety. It's not the comfort and security of the peace they had before. And they have gone from living in peace to now their world is confusion. Do you know what that's like? You remember? It doesn't take much to move you from peace to confusion, does it? One MRI, one late night knock on the door, one phone call, is this Mr. So-and-so? It's all it takes. Just one time, have you heard? Do you remember what it was like before you found out? Do you remember the innocence and the comfort that you had not knowing? And then all of a sudden, your, your life is plunged into confusion. And you don't really know what to do. You just know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. They're not the way they were before. And you feel sometimes abandoned by God. You feel like you, you don't have what you had before. And you look around. It says that when this happened to them, He says, there we sat down, yea, we wept. Do you know that? You've been there, haven't you? You cried. I've been there. Where you just wept, they didn't know what else to do. You know, they wept as they thought and they remembered the peace they had back when they were in Jerusalem. They remembered the God that was always there and now all of a sudden with these stone walls being torn down and they're looking around and they're seeing this river of confusion and they don't know what to do. They've lost that comfort. They've lost that reminder you know we sing songs about serving God. Y'all sing beautiful songs here. One one of the songs we sing or one of the things we sing about is that every day is sweeter with Jesus. Every day gets sweeter with Jesus, right? That makes a good song, doesn't it? It's just not true. It's not true. If it is, you're doing something wrong, aren't you? <laughs> because every day doesn't get sweeter, does it? Some days are just bad days. In the words of the immortal John Denver, some days are diamonds and some days are stones. You have good days, but then you got some bad days. Don't you? Honestly? We all do. And that's where these people were right here. You know, we talk about the om- omniscience of God. Or omnipresence, that's the word I'm looking for, omnipresence of God, where God is everywhere. And I think we misunderstand that sometimes. You know, we pray like God's our errand boy. God, would you please go check on Mama? She's been having a having a tough time. And, you know, while you're down there, check on Uncle Tom. He's in the hospital, you know, and he needs your help. And as you're swinging back around, come by and make sure my kids are in church And and... You know, that's that's a misunderstanding of omnipresence. Omnipresence doesn't mean that God is everywhere. It means everyone and everything and everywhere is in the presence of God. And you see, the problem these people had is they didn't know that their God who was in the temple was here. They knew when they walked around those cool stone walls, they were in the presence of God. But when they're sitting by this, they don't know, they don't remember, they don't understand that they're still in the presence of God. Weren't they? Weren't they still in God's presence here? They were, but they didn't feel like it. And the problems with feeling is most of the time when we start feeling We quit thinking. They were feeling, but they weren't thinking. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever feel abandoned by God? Have you ever felt like God? You know, I'm doing the work here. You know, I'm going to church. I went to almost every service of this meeting. I give my money. I go to the fellowships. And here I am. Hey, 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 remember me? I've got a situation here. I've got a problem. What are you going to do about it? I believe it's very natural for us to sometimes feel like God's not noticing us and God's not taking care of us and God's not doing what we need. That's a common, ordinary thing. You know what these people did when they felt that way? It says that we remembered Zion. They thought back and they remembered the peace that they had. And now they're in confusion. And what they did is said we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Now, that's a weird phrase. And I was reading this and I'm picturing these slaves, you know, carrying these big harps through the desert. And they get there and they're hanging harps up on the trees. And it's going, "That, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what's going on here. Well, you know, if you've read the Old Testament much, one of the things that you'll remember is that harps are almost always associated with worship. So I want you to follow the imagery here. Here are these people sit, and they've got these. That's a willow tree. We call them weeping willows because they're sad looking, right? And they've got these long branches that hang down, just like they're just full of woe and sorrow. And they're surrounded by these sad looking trees. And they hear the running of the river that, and the the water, which reminds them of their tears and what they've lost. And it's confusing, and and they just they're done. They just hang up their worship on these willow trees. They say, uh, you know, God, you've abandoned me. I quit. I'm done. I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm not going to worship you anymore. You remember David, when he played the harp for Saul, what happened? The troubling spirit left and peace came. You see, but they weren't doing that now. They were getting rid of their worship. I want to tell you the worst mistake you can make when you feel down, when you feel abandoned, when you feel alone is to forsake worship. It's the worst thing you can do. You see, there's, there's a benefit. Worship. We worship God because He's God, but not because He needs us to worship Him, right? Do you think God needs you to worship Him? He's God. He doesn't need you to worship Him. In fact, He tells Israel at one other place, He says, you know what? I hate your worship. There are people all over this world that are worshiping Me and I hate your worship. God doesn't need you to worship Him. The benefit to worship is not to God. The benefit of worship is for us. We're the ones who receive the benefit from worshiping our Almighty God. That's when the New Testament... We read what uh, Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He says, Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true and what sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just and pure and lovely and good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You see, when you come to worship, there's a benefit to getting your mind off your own problems, isn't there? Getting your mind on the Almighty God who does love you. Getting your mind off of, oh, poor me, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? What do I do next? Which way do I go? You can get your mind off of all of that and you can put your mind on this, the true and honest and just and pure and lovely and things of good report. And he says, when you do that, when you come to worship God, think on these things. But when I feel like I'm by the rivers of Babylon, you know what I fill my mind with? The opposite of those things, right? I fill my mind with, well, what am I ever going to do? What if this happens and what if that happens and all the bad and all the negative? I can't believe this is going on. And all of those things instead of this. And I want to tell you, if you forsake worship when you're down you're missing a tremendous benefit that you could get. That's when you need, more than any other time, that's when you need to go and be and worship with your fellow brothers and sisters. And then he says this, For there, those who carried us away captive ask of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So get the picture here. You're slave. Your city's destroyed. Zion, which is Jerusalem, was destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Your God allowed this pagan nation to come in and wipe out the temple and steal all the gold. And now you've got nothing and you're a slave sitting by a river in a foreign land. And the people who captured you come in and go, hey, sing us a song. Sing about Zion. I want you to imagine this morning if a bunch of Muslims surrounded this building, took us all captive and hauled us over to Iraq, and we're slaves in Iraq, and they come along and go, you know that he gave me a song Sing that for us. Sing that for us. Would you feel like singing? They didn't feel like singing. They didn't feel... And you know what was even worse? They said this. Said, they asked us a song and they requested mirth. You see, they requested mirth. That you sing with mirth. Not just sing, but you know what? That He gave us a song song that y'all used to sing when you were back in Amarillo. I want you to sing it for me. And I want you to sing it like you mean it. Now, how do you feel? You feel like that? You want to sing it that way? You're a slave. You want to sing it like that? I say, well, that might be hard. Yeah, you know, it's hard. It's hard in the life you live now, right? You know, there's some mornings you get up and you just don't feel good. You get up on the wrong side of the bed. You ever do that? Get up on the wrong side of the bed? You know what? You better stay out of my way today. I know the coffee was decaffeinated or something. Something is wrong with me today and I'm not in a good mood. Come to church and I get up on the wrong side of the bed. Don't ask me to sing You ought to be happy I showed up today. I don't feel like singing. My goodness. Somebody says, you know what? On Tuesday, I'm going to get the results of my MRI from the doctor. And on Tuesday, he just may give me a death sentence. I want you to know, I don't feel like singing. I'm scared to death. I mean, I'm scared. I may... Hear from my doctor on Tuesday, I'm gonna die, and you tell me you want me to sing? No, thank you. I'm not up for singing today. I don't feel like it. Someone says, You know what? Work is so stressful. I sit in this little cubicle and I've got all these problems at work and they're, they're putting pressure on me to do things that aren't my job to do and other people who ought to be handling things aren't. And, and I come to work and I work all week long just as hard as I can work and I get to church on Sunday and I tell you what, i got to start again tomorrow and I don't feel like singing today. Someone says, you know what? I'm a young man. And I have an addiction. And it's not the kind of addiction you talk about. And I'm trying, I'm really trying, and I'm trying to beat it and I can't. And every time I think I got it beat. And I fall back into it again and I know it's just going to happen again and I can't talk to anyone down there. And I don't feel like singing today. I just don't feel it. I'm a young mother. Not me, but I mean in the story. All I do every day is take care of kids. I take care of kids and I take care of kids and I... Never get to talk to another adult, and my husband's gone all day long. And he comes home and he doesn't feel like talking. And all I've had are these kids all day long and they make messes. This morning I got up two hours before he did, and we barely got to church. Don't tell me to sing, I don't feel like singing today. You know, everybody talks about how good the economy is, not my economy. My economy isn't good. I'm struggling financially. It's tough for me right now. It's hard. And I, you know, it. I know gas doesn't seem like it's high to you, but it is to me when I have to fill my tank. It's tough. And I come to church and I'm struggling and I don't know what I'm going to do for a job next week. I don't know what I'm going to do to make money. And I don't have a lot of money. And then you, they stick that plate in my face and make me feel bad if I don't have money to give. I don't feel like singing. A young woman, I thought he was the one. I thought he was the one. That's why I compromised my morals. That's why I did the things I did, because I thought he was the one. And now he says he just wants to be friends. And I can't do that. I haven't slept for three days. And you want me to sing? I don't feel like singing. I can't sing today. I'm an old person. And every minute I'm awake, it hurts. These benches or not benches but these chairs here. I know you've got some padding on them, but I'm going to tell you what after a few minutes they hurt me. I can't hear very well. I can't see what's up on the on the screen up there. Going to church is a, is a burden to me. It's it's hard. And you know what? Seems like all I ever do is go to doctors and go to doctors and go to doctors. And I have so many appointments and I sit there and the doctor says all this stuff I can't understand. And I get my medicines confused. And my kids, I hate to ask them because I don't want to be a bother to them. But I need help. But boy, when I ask, they let me know that it's a bother. It's all I could do to get here today. And you want me to sing... I don't feel like singing. You see, we could go on and on and on. But you get the picture. If you don't fit any one of those or a similar situation, you will someday. Someday it's going to happen to you. So what do you do? How can you come to worship and sing with joy in your heart... When your world has collapsed around you. That's the situation that these people were in. That's why they asked this question. How? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And I'm going to give you some things to know. That will help you sing the Lord's song. When it's the worst day of your life. And that may be now. And you may need it now. Or you may not need it now. But it may be in the future. But here are some things. Number one. You need to know and realize that what's strange to you is not strange to God. This river of Babylon was not strange to God. God created that river. These people were not foreign to God. God created these people. And the things that you're facing right now that are hard and difficult and painful and strange are not strange to God. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? His brothers were jealous of him. And dad sent him out to check on his brothers. And they said, you know, here comes that dreamer. Let's just kill him. And one of the brothers says, no, let's don't kill him. Let's throw him down in this pit. Now there was this pit by the side of the road that they threw him down into. And it had to be that pit and not any other pit because the Midianite traders are coming by that road headed to Egypt. And they're going to sell Joseph to these Midianite traders. These Midianite traders take him. They go down to Egypt and they go down there because there's a job opening in Egypt with a guy named. Potiphar. Now they get down there and Potiphar buys him. Now he has to work for Potiphar not someone else because Potiphar is married to old nasty Mrs. Potiphar. And she is a terrible woman and she's going to try to do something that ain't right. And she's going to try to seduce this young man and he won't do it. And she grabs his clothes and tries to drag him in and he leaves his coat and he runs. You know, they wore like a house coat back then. He left that there and ran out of the house and that was his problem. Not that he ran, we'd all have had less trouble if we ran a few times, right? His problem was he left the evidence behind. Because you see, Pharaoh is not going to, not Pharaoh, but Potiphar, is not going to throw his number one man in prison without evidence. But now she's got the evidence. She's got the clothes. She said he tried to rape me, which he didn't do. But Potiphar's going to believe his wife because there's evidence he throws him in prison. He gets in prison and he hears the dreams of these two guys that work for Pharaoh that got sent to prison. There's a baker and a butler. The baker's going to die and the butler's going to live. And it's got to be that way because Pharaoh's going to have a dream. And the butler, he'd never hear about, or the baker would never hear about the dream because he's off in the kitchen. But the butler's right there with Pharaoh, and he tells him about the dream. And the butler goes, oh, hey, there's this guy in prison can tell you what a dream means. And this guy in prison is Joseph, and he gets brought out. And the king tells him his dream, and he interprets the dream. And the famine comes around the whole land. And Joseph's brothers get hungry. And they come to Egypt to buy food that's been saved up by Joseph. And they get there and they meet Joseph. And they don't recognize him because it's been years since they saw him. And now he is the second most powerful man in the world. And when he finally tells them who he is, they are scared to death. Oh, no, we sold him as a slave and he's going to kill us now. But he didn't kill him. Do you know what Joseph told them? He said this, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He said, It was not you who sent me here, but God sent me. Did his brother send him? Did they? Well, yeah, but you know what? They were just following the plan of God. They didn't know it at the time. You know, sometimes God puts you in situations to prepare you for stuff that's coming later that you don't know it's coming later. That's what was going on here. It's not strange to God. He understands what's going on in your life. He understands the value and the purpose and the benefit long term to what's going on in your life. You see, it's not something you have to figure out by yourself. Number two, you need to pay attention to what's going on in you and not what's going on around you. That's a mistake that we all make at times. We pay attention to the world around us instead of what's going on in us. There's a story in Mark chapter 4 of Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus tells his disciples in Mark chapter 4, let us cross over to the other side. So Jesus is preaching, all these disciples are around. And Jesus says to them, come on guys, let's go get in this boat and let's go over to the other side. But they get out in the middle of the storm. And when they get out into the middle of the storm or the sea, there's a storm. And this storm is bad. And these guys are seasoned sailors. These guys know their way around a boat. And they're afraid they're going to die. And they're fighting the waves and they're fighting the wind. And they look around and they go, We're going to die. Where's Jesus? And Jesus was down inside the boat asleep. And somebody says, Go get him. Wake him up. And they go down and they get Jesus and they say, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? Are you going to sleep while we die? We got a situation here. We got a problem. What are we going to do about this? And Jesus comes up. Do you remember the story? He comes up and he looks out and he rebukes the waves. It's just like glass. The storm's gone. And Jesus asks him, he says, why did you doubt? You see, their problem was that they didn't believe Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Let us cross over to the other side. Jesus didn't say, let's go get in a boat and see if we can make it across the water. and Maybe we'll die. Maybe we'll get. That's not what Jesus said. He said, come on, we're going to the other side. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe Jesus Christ. The Bible says there was this great calm. Their problem was they weren't looking at what was in the boat. They were looking at what was around the boat. Now, the Bible says this, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible tells us that God will restrict. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The truth is that as a child of God, you have God, you have Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit with you. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet. Not I, but remember, Christ lives in me. And you know what? No matter how tough it is, no matter how bad the world around you gets, no matter how painful your circumstances you got Jesus Christ in you. Pay attention to what's in you, and not what's around you. Number three. Sometimes you just got to encourage your own self. You know, we all have people we depend on, don't we? We all have people that we we look to for comfort, for encouragement, to give us a, a word of. Calm when we're in a bad situation. We have people who counsel us. That's not wrong. We need that. The Bible teaches us to depend on each other for that. But you know, sometimes you've just got to encourage your own self. Sometimes everyone else isn't there to help you. Maybe you depend on the elders here. If you're a member of this congregation, I hope you do. They've got a lot of comfort and and wisdom and help for you. Maybe you depend on them. But maybe the day things really get bad, you can't get either one of them on the phone. So what do you do? Well, I'll call somebody else. Okay, you call them and you can't get them on the phone. In fact, sometimes it's your husband or your wife that you depend on for comfort. And sometimes they're the reason you need the comfort. What do you do? King David was in that spot one time. He was running from King Saul. He had 600 soldiers that went with him. And they went around doing the work of God. They went around fighting the enemies of God. And they're out in this wilderness and there's some enemies of God. And they got their camp. And David says, come on, let's go get them. And they go and they fight. But David got out general that day. That day, the people he was fighting waited for him to get away from camp. They lured him and the soldiers out. And then they went and destroyed his camp. And they took his wife and his kids captive. They took the wives and the children of all of his soldiers captive. They destroyed his camp. David goes out and fights this battle, and they're on their way home. And they're just about to top the hill to see the camp. And they don't hear the kids, but what they do see is smoke. And they cross the top of the hill, and all their families are gone. Can you imagine the terror you would feel at that moment? You know what they said to David? I would think these men following David would say, Come on, David, let's go get them. No, you know what they said to David? All these 600 soldiers surrounded him and they said, You, it's your fault. You led us away from here and left our place unprotected. And so now David's lost his family. He's lost everything he has. He's lost the families of his soldiers. And now they're all turning on him. What do you do? We do do in that spot. You know what David did? The Bible tells us, but David encouraged himself and the Lord. When it's really tough, you may need to stick an extra Christian CD in your car and take the long way home. You may need to just sit in the driveway and talk to God for 15 minutes before you go in the house. I preached this sermon one place and a man, older man after services, came up to me and he said, I want you to know that's true. He said, my wife and I were on the brink of divorce. And he said, there were days when I would come home and I would sit in the driveway and I would pray and I would say, God, just help me get through this. Because I knew the battle I was fixing to walk into. And he said, I remember the day when she met me at the door and said, I want a divorce. He said, we made it. But there were times that I didn't have anyone else to depend on. And I want you to know, sometimes in your life, you may just have to encourage yourself in the Lord. The last point is this. We serve a God who makes good things come from bad situations. Did you know that? He takes bad situations and makes good things come from them. Because you see, it's in times of a bad situation, when things are really rough, that you learn to walk by faith and not by sight. In my life, I can tell you what I've learned in my 56 years is that when things are going good, I don't grow spiritually very much. It's when things are bad that I do, it's when things are tough, it's when I have to struggle to hold on. That's when I grow. You see, when times are bad, it's when you learn to trust God through the rough times. When times are bad, it's, learned, it's when you learn to get up one more time than you got knocked down. It's when you learn that truth will eventually win out. That's when you learn those things. It's when times are bad, isn't it? Some of you have been through that and some of you know. That's when you learn these things. You know, Abraham learned this when God said, go kill your son on the mountain." Can you imagine? But Abraham learned this, that our God takes bad situations and makes good come from them. Moses learned it at the Red Sea when the Egyptian army had surrounded them and they had nowhere to go. Daniel learned it in a lion's den. You see, God's people have always learned these lessons in difficult places. You know, the Bible tells us all things work together for good, to them that love the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose. All things. Now that doesn't mean only good stuff is going to happen. What that means is that everything that happens ultimately will turn out for good. And I will tell you this, if you don't know this verse by heart, you need to memorize it. You need to write it on a little card and hang it on your bathroom mirror or in your car or stick it in your purse or your wallet. You need to memorize this. This is a promise from God. Not that all things are going to be good, but that all things will work out for good. Well, what does that mean? What's that mean they're all going to work out for good? You know, because some people die, right? How's that work out for good? Well, he explains that in the next verse. Do you know what the next verse says? You're probably familiar with this one. The next verse, he goes on and he says, for whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, what God defines as good is me looking like Jesus. That's good to God. Isn't that right? We call ourselves Christians, right? Do you know what Christian means? Christian means like Christ. You want to be like Jesus? His promise here is this. When you go into trouble, when you go into problems, when you go into anything that's hard, if you handle that God's way, when you come out the other end of that tunnel, you're going to look more like Jesus than you did when you came into the darkness. That's His problem. You will pass through. You'll pass through, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness. You'll pass through. It may take you six months or a year or two years or ten years, but you'll pass through. And when you come out the other side, if you do it God's way, you'll come out walking and talking and thinking and acting more like Jesus than you did when you first began to face that problem. See, that's what's going to happen in your life. We serve a God. So how can you sing the Lord's song in a strange land when things are really hard, when things are really tough? Remember these four things. Realize that what's strange to you is not strange to God. You sing based on what's happening in you, not based on what's happening around you. Sometimes you're just going to have to encourage yourself and the Lord. And finally, remember that God makes good things come out of bad situations. I want to close by reminding you of something that happened to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts went around and preached the gospel. And he preached, and a lot of times he got arrested. And in this story, this situation, he got arrested. Not only did he get arrested, he and Silas, the guy who was with him, get arrested and they get beaten. Now, you guys have invited me here this week to talk about the gospel and talk about Jesus. And you know what? I've gotten all week. people patting me on the back saying, Man, this is good. We enjoy this. Appreciate you being here. And I, Nobody's threatened to arrest me. Especially no one's beaten me. I can't imagine they kick in the doors and arrest us for being Christians and beat us. But they did that to Paul. They arrested him and they beat him, he and Silas. And they throw him in jail and they chain him in this jail. And here Paul lays on this con not concrete. Well, maybe they had, Romans had concrete. He ha- He laid on this floor in this prison, chained to a wall at midnight after being arrested and beaten because he was telling people about Jesus. And you know what he did? You know what Paul did? The Bible tells us that Paul and Silas at midnight sang praises to God. All the other prisoners heard them singing praises to God. Can you imagine? You've been beaten. You're chained in jail and you're laying there. He gave me a song to sing about. He lifted me. From, that's a low note for me. <laughs> from sin and doubt. That's what Paul did. You see, you can sing the Lord's song in a bad situation. You can sing the Lord's song in a strange land. You can sing the Lord's song no matter how hard the things around you are. If you will remember, it's not strange to God. He knows you're there and He's with you. You're in His presence Sing because He's with you, He is in you. Sing because sometimes that's the way you encourage yourself. And remember, He will make good come from this bad situation. I hope you've been encouraged this morning. I hope you're not sitting here today going, I don't feel like singing. But if you are, I hope this helps you. I hope if you face this in six months or a year or ten years, you can remember these things because they'll help you sing when you need to sing. If you have a spiritual need to bring before the congregation, we do offer a song of invitation if you'll come to the front while we stand and sing.